As always, our show is sponsored by Memoria Press. You can find our curriculum at memoriapress.com. Welcome to Classical Etc., a show from Memoria Press that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. That is the craziest little cup you carry around. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, welcome to Classical Etc. For another episode, I'm sitting with my friends Paul, Tanya, and Martin, along with his little cup, his crazy little cup. Oh, you all took your original seats again. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I just I just sit with the I, available seat when I walk in. It's because you're I, last. I wasn't today. I thought I you was here before you were today. Yeah. I thought your hair oh. had kind of come back to the way it needed to be to sit on that side again. Well, we're not going to talk about Martin's hair on this episode for the entirety of it. Today's episode, we, we've done recorded a few episodes about the trivium, about the liberal arts. We are going to go in a different direction. Because there's probably a fair amount of people who listen to those episodes and thought, we're not there yet, but they want to get there. So today's episode is, where do you start as an adult? Your kids are going to classical school, you're homeschooling your kids. Where do you start in classical education? But before we get there, we actually did have a comment on our Trivium episode on YouTube. Appreciate the person who posted this that asked, where is the trivium evident in our curriculum? And I don't want this discussion to take too long, but I did want to ask you guys that question. I thought it was a fair question. Where is the trivium evident in the Memorial Press curriculum? I, I, I hesitate to answer that question because there, it could mean a couple different things, right? Because it, that could be coming from the sort of Dorothy Sayers mindset about the um, levels of pedagogy, learn, learning, or it could be coming from a reference to the three actual liberal arts, which are two very different things because mm-hmm. Dorothy Sayers was using an analogy based on the old liberal, you know, three language arts. So if it's, if it's the Dorothy Sayers thing that the, the person is talking about, then I would say uh, that's, that's a taxonomy of learning, which just says you start out with really basic things, um, uh, really fundamental processes that you need to teach children. What, what any traditional educator would call basic skills. And then you're, you're moving on to more analytic types of subjects, which ironically grammar is one of Uh, uh, Cheryl Lowe always said grammar uh, is a, is a, not a grammar level subject because it requires some abstract analytic thinking that you don't get until what Dorothy Sayers would call the logic stage. Um, And then uh, later on in, in the the rhetoric stage, you know, you have uh, more creative types of of things that you do. So generally speaking, any good education program does that. Any Mm -hmm. good traditional education program really does that kind of thing. Let's assume the, the, questioner was asking where do you identify the arts of grammar yeah logic, and, then, and, rhetoric, and then i would the then i would just just simply say um w- in terms of grammar we're doing latin mm. latin's the best way to learn grammar you see it most clearly in the latin language over any other language and it's helpful simply because it's a foreign language and you see grammar better in a foreign language than you do in your own so we're teaching latin uh, we're actually teaching logic. We have a logic program. Written by Paul Schaefer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I won't take credit for that. I'm getting an attorney. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, 
so we have we actually teach the the formal science or the formal art. You know, you put an art into a science in order to teach it. We Paul and I were talking about this yesterday. But you 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 teach the actual art of lo- of logic. And then in rhetoric, we actually have a rhetoric program. So it's, I would think it would be very evident in our program. Well, and I would also say with classical composition, mm-hmm. I mean, when you talk about the art of rhetoric as the the art of communicating persuasively um, a set of ideas, that is something that we spend loads of time on in classical composition. Mm-hmm. And in preparation for studying Aristotle's work on rhetoric, which mm-hmm. is what a rhetoric program does later yeah. on. But isn't it really also just in every, I mean, even in literature, we're spending time on those things. Even, you know, when we're trying to learn how to form a sentence, that's all of those things. Absolutely. When we ask a discussion question that is more elevated and abstract, that is the logic of think, of thought. And then when we ask students to then be able to spit that back out to us, in a very, you know, in a good sentence that, I mean, isn't it all well, just... Well, yeah, the, that's the, the a, arts aren't, in, sep- aren't separate, but they are distinct. Well, and that's a phenomenal point because this conversation Martin referenced that we were having yesterday is that in an art, you have to have a certain amount of content or science that goes along with that in order to teach the explicit art, right? In grammar of communicating concepts. But if it is a skill, if grammar is a skill or an art, of communicating concepts, then that skill or art should be applied in literature, in history, and in every content domain. That involves language. That's right. And so anything that, every subject that we're doing, we are requiring the art of communicating uh, concepts, the art of of taking those concepts and and, and reasoning to a further deduction, a further conclusion, and doing that persuasively. Yeah. Now I want to cut off the conversation there because we we've we've talked about trivium extensively. If you if this is what did your appetite, go back to our trivium episode um, and listen to it again, maybe. And ask more questions. And ask more questions, and we'll try to answer. We're glad them. to have them. But the topic for today's episode is not the liberal arts for adult learners. Where do you start? Where where should if someone came to you and said, "We just discovered this classical school. We put our kids in it. They're having a phenomenal time." We have no idea what they're talking about at school. How do we grow alongside of our kids? Where do we start? What's your go-to recommendation, Tanya, when so, if someone comes to you and asks that question? To, to read their children's literature first. Mm. To read their history. To, I mean, how did I learn about Roman history? I did Famous Men of Rome with two children. And... um just start where you are. Mm. Don't try to read Plato because you've missed Plato. Just really start where you are and where your children are. And if you, you know, so everybody should read Homer, right? To be really educated. But but maybe do what we do with children and read Greek mythology first. Dolaire's Greek Myths gives you a very good basic idea of mythology and all of the characters that you need to know and then read the trojan war which is a good children's retelling um read aeneid for children before you read the aeneid do do that work first so that it isn't overwhelming and then i would also say that i mean the book that cheryl put into my hands was climbing parnassus which i feel like i'm constantly pushing but it really did make a huge difference to me in 
um, showing me why, why so much Latin. You know, I stuck my kids in her school where they were doing 10 years of Latin and I didn't. I trusted her, but I needed to understand that. And so I would say, too, that you, if you can read Climbing Parnassus, it will make all of that come clear. But again, it's also the kind of book that you would read more than once because mm-hmm. it's so, it is so full of, of stuff. And the other thing I would say, and then I'm, I'm done for the day. This is my last pearl of wisdom. Um, I'm going to hold you to that. Okay. Um, is you've got to block out the time to do it. Mm-hmm. And I know it's hard. And I struggled with that. And I finally started getting up at five o'clock in the morning before anybody else was up just so I could have half an hour to read. And it is amazing how much you can read in half an hour. So especially if you're reading on your children's level. So in half an hour, I could easily read Famous Men of Rome lesson that my one son was on, Famous Men of the Middle Ages that the other son was on. I could read, I could get through the Iliad and the Odyssey just plugging along a little bit at a time. I think what we tend to do is think, oh gosh, I've got to read all this stuff and we pile our bookshelf and then we never open any of it because we're overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So it just bite-sized pieces, but you've got to find half an hour a day for that because it is important and it's worth doing. But it doesn't, you don't need to sit for half a day with some text that you don't understand. Oh, I have another pearl of wisdom. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And then I'm quitting. In fact, I can just leave the room after this. Um, my, my other thing is, if you can find somebody to read with you, that really, really is helpful. I did that when my kids were little, and we would just meet once a month and talk about a book that was an, an adult piece of literature. Sometimes it was nonfiction, sometimes it was fiction, but that discussion really does help, and it means a lot to be able to discuss what you're reading with somebody. And it gives you accountability. Mm. Yeah. At uh, Memorial okay, Press, uh, Martin. Turn my mic off. Don't do that, please. I, I've wanted to do that for a long time. <laughs> Martin invites a lot of the you guys are around here today. to get together to discuss articles, short stories, novels. And that, that's been. I've never been invited to do that. Huh. <laughs> well, sorry. <laughs> huh. All that to say, it's sometimes valuable, not, other times not. Tanya, don't feel excluded. <laughs> Mar, what about you? Where do you think someone should start? I, th- I think people should start both at the beginning and at the end. In the beginning, in the sense that you are learning from te- from from doing the program that you're doing. You, you're learning by teaching, and so, like Tanya says, if you're if you're you know wanting. And, and I do think children's literature is the place to start. I mean, that even outside our actual curriculum at, in our house, that really kind of was the curriculum of our home, was, mm-hmm. was the children's books that we were reading. You know, not only the ones that are in the curriculum, but all the others that are that Like are the family read-alouds. The family read-alouds, mm-hmm. absolutely. And so, um, so that's one place you're, you're learning right along with your children. I mean, my, my wife... She would constantly be talking about the book that she had been reading to the kids that day. It's amazing how much 
how many adult themes are in children's literature and how much you can glean from them and and how much a book like Charlotte's Web can make you a better person. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in the meantime, um, in the time that you have uh, on your own, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about the, the five classical books, the ones you kind of want to aim for. And, you know, while you're, while you're doing, you're working with your children and you're reading the books they're reading, you also need to, to read the ones that the whole program's aimed towards understanding, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, You've got to name those right, or we're going to get a million emails <laughs> and they'll come to me. So just name them right now. Uh, uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey, which which, which Martin you, counts as one. <laughs> it is one. It was a diptych. It was. I, I'm just saying, when you say five books, when you start naming like them, six. we need to make yeah. sure We've that we're clear. Them, but originally, it that, was, it was, that this is one. Yeah. Okay. Homer. Okay. One. Right. <laughs> uh, which was which was the ideals of of and values of Greek culture, which is what we're heirs to. Um, the Aeneid by Virgil, which is the values of the Roman civilization, which we are also heirs to. And, um, and Dante, who's, who's expressing the Christian ideals and values. Um, and then, and then two English works, which are the King James Bible and, uh, the plays of Shakespeare. And, and, and those are, those are the biggies. I know they're later on, but I think you need to be slowly making your way through those as well. Ultimately your list of five books is actually like 40 books. (laughs) Well, actually, like a hundred, if you take all. <laughs> but all yeah. remember, the Bible. when he goes to the desert island, he's taking one complete Shakespeare with him, so he's considering it one. That book. was me. Yeah, I think oh, that, that was you. I was oh, the sorry. one who was so taking. I'm the hypocrite here. I was the one who was. The, <laughs> I was the one who was taking the book on practical shipbuilding. Oh, that no, yeah. that's Chesterton taking that. You're such a copycat. <laughs> Paul, same question to you. What? Where should someone start? Well, Tanya said start with the children's books. Martin said start with the children's books and and the the um sort of the pinnacle uh of what we're reading. I was thinking the question is where where are you at, right? So when you first asked that question, I, I was thinking, okay, the, I'd like to ask that person the question mm-hmm. of do you currently read and what do you read? Right? So somebody who's used to reading um you know, uh, young adult fiction, right, is 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 going to be more successful in their journey towards classical education, uh, going Tanya's route, right, and you know, and somebody who is who only remembers Shakespeare as being drudgery in high school, is 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 going to start and easily give up the 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 intent of trying to of of trying to learn. But if if you you slowly build up um, what you're used to reading, you you become accustomed to the point where Shakespeare will become enjoyable or Homer will become enjoyable. Um, so I, I think that's an important consideration. And you know, I, none of us have said, as shockingly enough, start learning a little bit of Latin, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and why? Because when, I think when you start, you, we need to start with what is most accessible. Um, and as Tony pointed out, it's hard even to get 30 minutes of your own time to read, let alone 30 minutes to try to pick up a different language. And so I'm not saying you shouldn't study Latin. There's, there's some great t- people, we, we, great um, 
examples that, that uh, of, of parents and teachers who have joined the adult Latin classes we have in the online Academy and, you know, and, and, and parents that have, they're all the way into fourth form, you know, and they're finishing that up this fall. I just had an email this morning from somebody who's going to speak. Amy McVeigh is going to speak at the Wichita convention and she wants to speak about Latin because mm-hmm. she's finishing fourth form with Sue mm-hmm. Strickland and um, is thrilled with herself mm-hmm. that she's yeah. gotten that far. Yeah. So it's a great But even if you can't do that, I mean, that much, if you even just getting through first form, you're mm-hmm. going to understand. If you understand basically what a declension is, what a conjugation is, how the language works, that's a huge mm-hmm. help mm-hmm. too. Yeah. But also, we also need to point out though that, that, you know, when I, uh, I learned Latin by teaching it. So, we didn't have a Latin teacher. I wanted to learn it. I volunteered for the job and I started teaching. And I, I tried to stay about a semester ahead of my students. But even if I hadn't stayed that far ahead, even if I'd stayed a week ahead, I still would have learned it by teaching it. And so I, it, you don't necessarily have to do two things in learning, in teaching and learning Latin. In a sense, they're one and the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so for, for, for many mothers because of their schedules and they have you know a number of children it may be hard to do well you will learn it just by teaching it to your children and doing that lesson plan several days before and 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 doing the exercises yourself do everything that they're doing do it do it a week or two ahead even that that's that's still going to work um and there'll be some you know things they they maybe can't answer that that the questions are getting from their kids but the, you know you can take care of that uh with a with a uh, you know, along the way. It's a great point. If, if someone were to ask me the question, I would say, is there a Highlands Latin school in your neighborhood or in your mm-hmm. city? Mm-hmm. Go be a teacher at that school. That's how you start yeah, your it, classical exactly education. Right. Or if, exactly if right. second best, a school that's using more press materials, be a teacher at that school. Well, Even if what, it's just why, one or two days a week. Yeah. That's why I'm always saying there is a, there is a, uh, an education revolution going on in this country because of homeschooling. Because these mothers are teaching their children these programs and they're learning it along with them. They're learning these things that they're not teaching. They haven't been teaching in schools for years. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, I, I tell lawmakers this, you know, uh, cause I, you know, I have a lobbying background that there's, there's a revolution going on right under your nose and you don't know it. Mm-hmm. It's these homeschooling mothers who are being, becoming educated. again. So, so we've said literature, we've said history, we've said Latin. I did not reteach myself algebra um, or biology or physics or any. I mean, I had to outsource all of that stuff. But is that important also that we, I mean, maybe I just failed um, because I preferred literature and history. But I mean, are those things important too that we educate should i do an algebra book what am i going to get out of that <laughs> martin what do you think given that- <laughs> well we talked we had a whole episode on the quadrivium where we talked a little about this and um and plato's idea that ex- he expresses in the republic that a uh, uh, that a study of the quadrivium uh, arithmetic geometry astronomy and music is the way that you understand the, the 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 ultimate forms of things. So, in a philosophical sense, I think it is important. And I also think you know our 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 minds are are both quantitative and qualitative. 
And those of us who like the qualitative, we stick with the qualitative mm-hmm. and we don't develop the other side of our minds. And, and, and I, I probably used this example before, but you know, Pete Rose, the great ba- baseball player who, who was asked how, how he became such a great baseball player. And he said, because I practice the things that I'm not good at. And so if you're not good at math, you probably need to be practicing more math. No, than, but, but, but I would also say that there's in, in the, the scheme of sort of the platonic ideal of, of learning the quadrivium, that was less quantitative than the way we think about it today due to the Cartesian revolution. Yes. So there are books out there, books that I have wanted to read and never gotten around to read that are on my shelf. Like there's one called mathematics is God silent. And it's all about the beauty, the, the, the order and the beauty inherent in mathematics, which would be something more along your line of being able to follow that Tanya, because it would be more language based of mm. this is, this is what we see in this domain rather than here's some problems, work them out. Right. And, and also, I think you know, I'd rather work out the problems than have to read about the philosophy of math. <laughs> remember that, remember that music <laughs> is is um, basically applied arithmetic, okay? So it's not like we, when we think of mathematics, we don't, you know, the quantitative things, we don't think of the music, okay? It, music is the sound of arithmetic, all right? And so, I played the trumpet in high school band. Does that count then? Does yeah, that take care of my math? Did he start, I think? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was tempted to ask her to see if she could play it now, but I... Not sure that's a good idea, Tanya. You sound like you're trying to check off boxes. I know. Instead of <laughs> instead of going, I, I really want this. Well, I, I just read recently someone persuas- persuasively arguing that the ultimate goal of the liberal arts, given that the liberal arts equip a person to be free, one of the things it frees them from is a teacher, right? Because now they have the ability to mm-hmm. learn themselves, mm-hmm. and once you are free. By sharpening, you have the ability to go into these different fields of science that have mm-hmm. bodies of knowledge that you're actually interested in, and you can find beauty there. But you can't do that if you haven't sharpened those skills enough to be able to explore those different fields. And we're all knowledge is exhaustive. We're all going to explore different fields in the course of our lives. Mm-hmm. And we do have to start where we are. We do have, like, if you've never had Latin before, you do have to start in the grammar stage, regardless of how old you are. And now you can work faster through it as an adult, but you do have to start at a place where you can succeed and build the same foundation that we're building in our young students. Now, in answering the question, all three of you um, gravitated to the great conversation, great works. And in in describing the kind of education we provide, we say it's an education in liberal arts and great works, great conversation. What's the significance of the great works and why should adult learners be trying to find great works and continuing to read them? Well, I think we talk about the liberal arts as being the arts of a free person, right? They're, they're free. And I think the great conversation is what helps you understand what it means to be human, mm-hmm. right? So you you in the liberal arts, you acquire these skills that allow you to be... I don't know if I want to use the word self-sufficient or independent, but but free, right? Um, not enslaved to the basic uh, necessities of life anymore, right? Where you're just trying to survive, but you you can you you have these skills that allow you to do more things um, or, or to, to reason well. 
And then, but then the great conversation allows us to sort of take that and, and say, well, then what does that mean? They, looking at the world around me and how human beings act, what does that mean about us as human people, right? Uh, what does it mean to be a human person? What, you know, what's the inherent worth and dignity of every person? Or what is the, um, you know, what are the causes and consequences of a given action? That sort of thing. And so, uh, in, in some ways, I don't know if I want to say this, but in some ways, the way we started in saying, every, we, we all basically said, start in the great conversation is because there is an inherent assumption that an adult, even with an education that was not explicitly um, trying to achieve the liberal arts, that person has walked out with an ability to communicate concepts, r reason uh, somewhat well, and somewhat be persuasive, right? I mean, so, so we're kind of taking as a given that you at least have some familiarity or, or ability with those arts and okay, maybe what you, maybe this is the other piece you don't have. Now I think we kind of came full circle and said, well, no, you do need to work on those arts probably most likely, but you, you need to be breathing with both lungs here, I think. And, and I forgot your exact question now, but you were asking about great books. And great. Mm -hmm. I, I think that <clears throat> the, one of the things that in modern thought is really lacking is the, the consciousness that we we really do stand on the shoulders of giants mm. and that we have this tradition uh, of great books and great ideas which has been constructed this this is this is one of the great achievements of civilization is that we have this great body of work that we have that that not just our generation but all, all previous generations have judged, and we've got the best jury ever, which is history, uh, that, have, that have judged these works to be the best. And uh, it's, it's where we see virtue and wisdom in action. And, you know, we modern people, are, we're just so trapped in our own presuppositions, and we have not been given this tradition ourselves and our schools haven't been doing this for generations now we've forgotten what's good mm. and and we forget that there is this tradition there that has that has gone through these books and that has had numerous great thinkers judge these to be great and all we have in modern times is our puny little selves mm. and our puny little judgment and, and if we, you read them, yes. then you can see why they are still there because they are filled with wisdom and just little nuggets of amazing things that have been thought and said over the years that we can't really say better. Mm -hmm. And there, I mean, there's so many people now, and they're not they're not taught these great works. They're not even prepared to read them, and they you know. You meet them every day, people who've never read Shakespeare, people who've never read a Plato, people who... It, that would be it, me. <laughs> I mean, these are... Uh, I feel sorry for for people who've, you know, haven't had a good education, like I fortunately got, um, and who are unable to, to do those things. And I don't... I mean, 
not enable because <clears throat> we've talked about how you how you do how you can approach those even if you haven't been trained that way. There is a way to do that, but it does involve some time and and um and so I just think that that the the, the problem we have is you tell you tell people that it's really valuable to read these works, but they don't understand even why it would be valuable because they're not familiar. You have to be familiar with them to and, know that they're valuable. And so. they have to be accessible to you. Yes. Right. And so I could probably yeah. read Plato now, but if you had given me Plato 20 years ago, mm-hmm. the, I mean, there was, I would have failed. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say, you know, great writers and thinkers, I, I, I really do want to bow to, again, children's literature. We have some mm-hmm. great children's writers. And again, that's the preparation for it. We, right, we in English right. have this great body of work that prepares you because you can see virtue and wisdom even in simple children's books. That's what prepares you. It for, is. For and the, the same themes are in Jane Eyre and The Count of Monte Cristo. Right. Yes, They're right. just right. on a different level, but mm-hmm. it is the same mm-hmm. universal themes. Mm-hmm. So, Tony, you mentioned, I think the only bit of really practical advice so far was <laughs> carve out 30 minutes. <laughs> To end, what's other maybe practical advice we could offer someone? Martin, you mentioned be a teacher, um, which is somewhat practical Mm -hmm. for some people. Um, What other advice would we give for someone wanting to begin or continue their classical education? I I would say, one, use audiobooks, depending on if if, if you're going to a a job every day and, and you're in the car, use audiobooks. Uh, the other thing is if you find yourself spending time, you know, on your phone, get it, get something, get like Quizlet on there and work on Latin vocabulary. Like there's, <laughs> it, 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 what's your priority? Where's your priorities going is, is the question. And it, you just do something small like that. And all of a sudden, what was it? Cheryl used to say people, uh, overestimate what they can do in one year, but underestimate what they can do in five. Yes. And, you know, you don't have to have all of this done in the next year. You know, if that's, you can do it before that you is, die, that's, that's, that's great. That is a very good point mm-hmm. as we continue to learn. And we don't, there is no rush. But when we say that, we also say it is it is also a daily plodding up that hill. It, it, it does take work, but it's not, I mean, you're content, you want to continue to grow and to continue to learn. And so there's no end point to education. And I think somehow we think that there is, you know, we get out of high school, we get out of college and we're, we're finished and we're not, there's, we've got to just keep plugging on. There's always more because there's still, you know, that pinnacle of Plato. Mm-hmm. And in Paul's idea of audiobooks, you know, he said, you know, listen to them, you know, on your way to work. So the, the next thing to do is to get a job really far away <laughs> yeah. so that you can listen Good. to a lot of books. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> I would double down on, Paul, your, your point about the smartphone. I think one practical step is identifying the ways the media, the technology, the things in our life are not value neutral. They're eroding our attention spans. They are trying to sell us things and identifying those forces help us to create that time realize the way that we're pulling our phones out every five minutes to check for notifications. How are we using our time? Instead right? of reading or doing mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. of value. And I think that could be a really helpful first step. I do too. Right. It's a, it's, there's a lot of self-discipline involved in it. Yes. And the other, the, the final thing that I would say, even though I said it was, I was final 20 minutes ago, <laughs> um, would be to utilize our curriculum map. Mm. 
and look at the, you know, that insert that's in the classical teacher. Pull that thing out and see where you are really in your life. So maybe you have always been a lover of children's literature, but then you went from there to, say, just solely reading British murder mysteries, which are entertaining, but not um, probably they're in, they're fun, they're well written, but they're not maybe not soul nourishing. The only thing to read. They're not the only thing, and they're not um, they're not soul enriching for the most part. Um, and so, just if you're ready to read adult literature, then read the Count of Monte Cristo. Read all of those great British authors <laughs> to me they're Russian authors Edgar Allan Poe he's a great American author um well I love Faulkner and Eudora Welty and all of those deep south ones Flannery O'Connor mm. that's somebody that'll stretch you mm. um but I think that also is a key is to make sure that even in your in your daily entertainment reading, that you are reading things that are stretching you intellectually. You and note-take. Take notes. And mark your books. Yes, absolutely. And then uh, you can take a class to help you uh, in the great books. Uh, you know, you could try memoriacollege.org. Uh, let's turn this into a commercial. find classes on the great books. Well, you can. Well, and to bring this full circle, you mentioned discipline. And that was the one thing that struck me in Climbing Parnassus. That was the one argument that, I mean, it just really struck me the first time I read that was Tracy Lee Simmons makes the case that you learn Latin precisely because it requires discipline. It forces you to have discipline, but it's the same thing. If you're, if you're trying to grow in your knowledge of the great conversation, it, that also takes discipline. It does. I was looking, this is an aside. I was looking through my shelf of Wendell Berry books last night, looking for a particular thing and i noticed that all of the books that i have from like child when my children were little the books that i read then um were i didn't mark in them it's impossible to find anything you're looking for if you haven't marked your book and so like my jaber crow is all marked up hannah coulter's all marked up but all those early ones i was looking for something in an early one, and I, I just thought, what was I doing? Just, just light reading, I guess, through them instead of. So I'm just. I, last night, I just thought this is ridiculous. So I'm telling everybody, mark your books. Take that as encouragement. <laughs> so when you go back to them twenty years later, you can find what you're looking oh, yeah, for. Absolutely. Start marking your books. Take a pencil. Mark All right. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, 
and we'll see you next time.